Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. All right, today we are in Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So uh, several years ago, my wife and I hosted a foreign exchange student from Germany. And uh, what we tried to do as we host a foreign exchange student from Germany is indoctrinate them into what we believe. And so we took her to a St. Louis Cardinals game uh, and, and to make her a super fan. And so we went to this Cardinals game. I was just so excited to uh, introduce this uh, European to baseball. And so we, you know, all the pregame festivities, festivities are happening. She's just like, she's so excited. This is so cool. And then the game starts and the Cardinals take the field first because it's a home game. And, and the first batter gets up there and our, and our pitcher strikes him out. And of course the whole crowd just ah, goes crazy. And I'm like, yes, you know, high fives. And she high fives. She says, why is everyone cheering? And it dawned on me, she doesn't know what it means to strike someone out because she had never seen baseball, never watched it on TV, did not know anything about the rules. And so I started, well, yeah, here's what happened. He just, he just uh, struck him out. She looked at me, okay. And I'm like, okay. She doesn't understand strikeout. So I had to back up. Say, okay, well, the goal is to score runs. Okay, no, runs. That doesn't make any sense. And so I spent the next hour starting big picture working down to what this game of baseball is and what's happening on the field so that she could understand it, okay? And the reason I tell that, one of the things that we try to do here at Hill City is always keep the big picture in perspective. Because I grew up in church, and a lot of you have been in churches where sometimes you come and they're talking about some scripture, and it's like we're zoomed in so much, it's like we're talking about a curveball. And you don't even understand how the game works. You're like, I'm, okay, curveball, great. Slider, okay, but we don't, but we don't know the big picture. Anyone felt that before besides me? Okay, just me. All right, good. Okay, so I'm the idiot on stage and felt that way before. Hey, the first crowd did not do good communicating, but you're going to do better, right? Okay, I'm, you better prove it because right now I'm not seeing it. <laughs> yeah, we got to understand the big picture if we're going to understand some of these smaller passages. So that's one thing at Hill City we try to to keep in mind. Um, and so as we look at the Bible, one of the things that we believe is the Bible is not just a collection of letters or stories or um, Old Testament, New Testament, that the Bible is one big story. It's a narrative. And it starts from God's creation of the earth and goes all the way through to Jesus coming and, and dying and resurrecting. And now uh, the church comes along and then one day we'll conclude with him coming back. Like it's one big unified story. And one of the uh, the language is a language that's, that's central, that's unified through all of the, all of the Bible, from Old Testament to New, is this idea of a kingdom. You've heard it called the kingdom of God. It's talked about all through the Bible. This kingdom language is something that's fundamental in understanding the biblical narrative. And so this kingdom language starts in Genesis chapter 1, where God, this divine creator, creates the world. Here, here's what he says, verse, uh, Genesis 1, 28, and God blessed them, this is the Adam and Eve people, humanity, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the seas and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Now, to have dominion over something is to rule. God begins a kingdom. In his creativity, he creates this world. It's called Eden, where it's his kingdom, and everything happens as God desires it to happen. 
and there's beauty and there's flourishing. And this world, this kingdom is packed full of potential. And then God brings humanity in this kingdom and tells them, listen, this is my kingdom. It's good. It's beautiful. Now you, as humanity, contribute to the flourishing of this kingdom, of goodness and beauty. But there's another kingdom. And we'll think of it as the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of evil. And it is opposed to God's kingdom. God's kingdom is one of beauty, flourishing, peace. Well, this kingdom is evil, destruction, death, hate. And they're opposed to, to one another. And the leader of this kingdom, this kingdom of death, comes to humanity and says, hey, forget God's kingdom. This is my own words. You come over to my kingdom. In my kingdom, you're in charge, not God. You can be just like God. And so humanity takes that invitation, steps over into the kingdom of darkness, and in comes suffering and death and evil and destruction. And you and I today, we, if you're a believer, like you feel this wrestling, right, of this kingdom that you're invited into of God, yet this deep desire within us for a different kingdom to live in the kingdom of evil and suffering and death. As we look at the Bible narrative, God promises his people. So, he, so, so God creates a world and these two kingdoms emerge. His kingdom, now there's this kingdom of evil. And here's the deal. God could have left it like that. He could have said to humanity, hey, you made your choice. You want that kingdom? Have it. I'm done with you. He could have done that, but he didn't. So the narrative of the Bible is that God steps in in the Old Testament to a guy named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I am going to do something about these two kingdoms. Abraham, I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to start something that will begin with you that will one day end in the kingdom of evil and darkness being destroyed forever. I will end that kingdom is what he promises. And that Abraham has children. And he, and he promises, God promises in Exodus that this kingdom will go on. Here's what he says. Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Israel's promise that God is going to bring a new kingdom and they will be, the people of Israel will be the avenues through which that kingdom comes. And so now as we look at the, the Israelites, the, the people of Israel that are living at the time of Jesus, they are waiting on a king. They are waiting on a kingdom. They believed the words of the prophets of the Old Testament that God would establish his kingdom and they are waiting on that kingdom and they are waiting on their king. Now in their mind that kingdom is their king coming into Jerusalem on a white horse with a big sword ready to kick the Romans butt, kick them out and now Israel is over the whole world. That's their idea of a kingdom. But Jesus comes on the scene and he announces the kingdom of God is here. It has arrived. But as we know, his kingdom looks different. It looks different than what they anticipate, which is why Israel rejects, as a whole, Israel rejects him. They wanted a king that would restore Israel to the days of their glory days of, of King David. And Jesus has come announcing his kingdom has arrived, but it looks different. His invitation is to turn away from this kingdom of darkness and evil and suffering. To step into a new kingdom. And Luke's gospel, his narrative is what we've been studying and we're about halfway through. His gospel is the message that the kingdom has arrived. So if we even look at Luke's gospel, big picture, the first about four or five chapters are all about this kingdom has arrived. And so he shows the birth of Jesus. He shows Jesus coming. He shows John the Baptist, all these people, these messengers announcing that Jesus, the kingdom has come. The passages that we've been in now for several months in the middle of the book here, this is the message of the kingdom. Jesus coming and saying, here is what my kingdom looks like. And we're starting to close out of that section of the Gospel of Luke. 
And now we'll start to make a turn and Luke's gospel will take us to Jesus' mission to establish the kingdom. And so we'll see a verse coming up after this that says Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem, going to establish himself as king of the Jews. But he will not do that with a sword. He'll do it through a cross. And so Luke's gospel records the coming of this kingdom. Big picture. One more big picture thing before we jump into now this story, because I hope it will make sense. I'm going to show you a video. This video comes from some people called The Gospel Project. I recommend all their videos. You can find them on YouTube. Google The Gospel Project. For every book of the Bible, this is really cool, they produced a video like you're going to see today that's about 8 to 12 minutes. It just kind of lays out the big picture of every single book of the Bible. It helps you understand it. It's really, really good stuff. But they did a little short video on the idea of kingdoms that I thought fit in today. Let's watch that, and then we'll keep going. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act 
sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. So again, I hope this helps because um, one of our goals here is to understand the big picture, to understand the narrative of the Bible. And so what we see here, and I think my sermon title this morning is A Tale of Two Kingdoms. And that is the story of the Bible, a tale of two kingdoms, of one kingdom of good and flourishing and peace and justice and mercy, God's kingdom, and then a kingdom of evil and death and suffering and destruction, the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of the world. And these two kingdoms are opposed to one another. And so in Luke chapter 9, verse 18, long introduction to get us here, this is the narrative that's going on here. And I want us to see this because I think it will make sense as we, as we jump in in verse 18. Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And his disciples answered, John the Baptist, or others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And if you've, if you've studied the Gospels, you know who's answering first, right? <laughs> Peter. He's always the one to talk first. Peter says, the Christ, the Son of God. So the question, who do you say that I am? Because Jesus announces that he is the one that's come, the new king to come to establish God's kingdom. So he asks these disciples the question, who do you say that I am? Peter responds, you're the Christ, the son of God. Peter makes a confession. You are the Christ, the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You're the one who has come. Now, if you, if you know the disciples, this is one thing that actually encourages me. The disciples, like, believe. Peter has this moment of belief, but then they doubt. <laughs> then they believe and they doubt, and they believe and they doubt. As a matter of fact, even after Jesus is killed, um, after he's crucified on a cross, before they know he's resurrected, uh, Peter and or a few disciples, I don't remember which ones, are walking, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and his resurrected self. They don't know who he is. And he, just, they think he's some just like guy in the street. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, have you not heard? Like, come on, this guy Jesus got killed. And they say like, we thought he was the one. So it's, it's not, so Peter makes a true confession here. But even Peter, there's weakness still. He's still wrestling through. He's still doubting this. So he makes a confession. You are the Christ, the son of God. Let me talk to us here. If we're believers this morning, if you're here that when you call yourself a Christian, what you are saying is that you have made a confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the one that's come to bring God's kingdom, and that he is now your king. You're like, well, I didn't know I made that. Well, that's, that's what it means to be a Christian. So if we have made that confession and have truly trusted in Christ. And the Bible talks about this, this covenant language, that God now is that we have this covenant with God where he's, he's come and he's taken care of our sin from the past. He's reconciled us to himself and he has, we have this covenant with him now. But how covenants work is the confession that establishes a covenant means that actions must follow underneath that covenant that support that covenant and confession. You're like, that didn't make sense. Let me say it like this. One day, about 17 years ago, I stood on a stage with a little bit more hair than I have right now, and I said the following phrase, confession. I, Daniel, take you, Emily, to be my wife. 
to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, there's been a lot of the latter, <laughs> in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's design. I made that confession, which established a covenant. And now because of that, I must live in a way that supports that covenant. Agreed? Yeah, come on, help, help me, help me. They're like, no, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Yeah, yeah, right? That's, we, do we not understand covenant language? In the, especially in the nature of a marriage, right? That if I'm going to make a covenant, a confession of a covenant, that now there must be actions that follow. So actions that reflect that covenant. So a covenant of a, a confession of a covenant means now that actions must follow that reflect, that back up that covenant. That's covenant language. And so Peter has just announced, you are the Christ, the Son of God, which was true. And now let's look at what Jesus says to Peter and to his disciples. Verse 21. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. Now, pause. A lot of people get confused by that. Like, why would Jesus tell them? Because Jesus is not ready to go to the cross yet. He knows as soon as that word gets out, he will be killed. And so he's not quite there yet. So he tells them, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus predicts his death and he will die as an enemy of the state. Now, the disciples really don't believe it. They don't understand this yet. And so again, in light of Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus comes back with, okay, Peter, you are correct, but just to make sure you know where this thing's going. It's not going where you think it is. As a matter of fact, here's where it's going. The king that you just confessed me to be, I will be killed. Now, I will resurrect, but I will die. Here's what I think he's saying to Peter. Peter, do you really want to go where I am going? Because your confession means that there's a direction that I'm going and your confession means you're going to have to live underneath this confession. Peter, do you want to do what you think you want to do? Verse 23. And he said to all of them, if anyone would come after me. Now, I want you to see this because Jesus acknowledges that not everyone will. And, and we'll see that today. And by the way, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, like I'm so glad you're here. And this is the perfect Sunday for you to come. It really is. Because I'm going to try as best I can to line out what does it look like? What's it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And the last thing I do is trick you into just some little belief thing. Like, this is going to be real Christianity this morning. And it will allow you now, if you're not a Christian, to kind of sit back, and it's all going to be on this board. If you're listening on a podcast, we have a lot of people that listen. Um, I'm going to write on a board and contrast some things today. Jesus is going to show us what it means to confess him as king and to live underneath then that confession. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. One of the toughest sentences that Jesus spoke. Because, remember, a confession establishes a covenant means that actions must flow that reflect that covenant. You are the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, Peter. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to contrast two kingdoms. He's going to contrast the kingdom of Jesus, his kingdom, the kingdom of God, with a different kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. We're going to call this the kingdom of the world. Because Jesus wants us, wants his disciples and, I, and now us to understand 
that a confession of him as Lord means that there are two different kingdoms and these kingdoms are opposite. They are opposed to one another. And so here's what he says. To be about God's kingdom. Deny self. Well, that doesn't sound like much fun. Jesus, you're the son of God. Okay, Peter, you're right. If you want to be about my kingdom, here is what my kingdom is marked by. Self-denial. Now, this one's easy. Kingdom of the world is focus on self. Self-focus. So the kingdom of Jesus says deny self. The kingdom of the world, the message of the world is no live for self. These two are opposed to one another. And so as we start to unpack this, like what does this look like? What's this mean to deny self? Let me think about it in three things that kind of make you up. Let's say say, um, time, talent, treasure. Let's just take these three, okay? So to deny self means with my time, there is, a, there is a, a gift of God, and that's called my life. And my life has so much time. For some of you in the front, you have a little more time than some of the rest of us. But that you've been given this time not as just to spend it all on you. But you've been given time to bring about God's kingdom into the world, to push back evil, to bring hope and light and goodness. That's what your time is for. Now, the message of the world is, maybe your time is yours. Don't let anyone step into your time. Don't commit to anything. Keep your options open. Your time is yours. Spend it on yourself. Leisure, pleasure, relax, man. Just enjoy it. Time. Let's think of talent. Like, as I look around this room, first gathering too, there are so many gifted people in our church, it's crazy. A lot of you, so many gifted people. The message of Jesus, invitation of Jesus, hey, that gift that you have, it's not just for you. It's not just for you to go make a lot of money. No, go make money, that's great. Do do a great job in in your work. Be successful in business. Your talent, it's not just for you. It's for the kingdom, it's for the church. Like God just hasn't gifted you with a few things. Like you are the gift for the benefit of the body of the church. That's the message of Jesus in the kingdom. Your talent is used for something more than just you and your kingdom, but a bigger kingdom. Time, talent, let's like treasure. Let's, let's, let's talk money for a second. Now, um, you're not a Christian. You're like, yep, knew it. I knew that's where he's going. That's all they want in church. Here's the reality. We haven't talked about this much at Hill City. Um, and I've probably done a disservice to you in my in my. Um, fear of, of being perceived as the church that just wants your money, um, I've kind of avoided it too much. But if we, if we talk about self-denial, if we talk about this call of Jesus, we've got to talk about generosity. The Bible says a ton about money. And so the invitation of Jesus for this kingdom is deny self. Now, that doesn't mean you have to live in a van down by the river and eat ramen every day. It doesn't mean that, although now ramen is really expensive. I don't understand that. There's a new restaurant. It just makes no sense to me. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be poor and living on poverty level. But I think here is a question that Jesus might ask you. How much is enough? How much is enough? Where there's this invitation of generous living, now, here's what people want to say, okay, Hood, don't be legalistic now. Don't tell me i got to give 10% to the church. Like, that's Old Testament stuff. That's the Old Testament. Now we have the New Testament. I'm not required to give 10%. You're right. You know what the call is now? Radical generosity. <laughs> Sacrificial generosity. That's the call now. Like, 10%, that's easy. Generosity and asking deeper questions about my heart, that's tough. I'll even say it like this. Old Testament says, hey, um, don't commit adultery. You know what the New Testament call is? If you look lustfully at a woman, you already commit adultery. It trumps the Old Testament. It's deeper. It's weightier. It makes us wrestle with far more deeper things. But the kingdom of Jesus is an invitation. Be generous. Now, I don't stand up here 
And you'll see as we talk through this, I'm not going to stand up here and say, yeah, I got this kingdom thing down. <laughs> Guys, I wrestle with this just like any of you do. From the time Emily and I got married, we made a decision that we were going to step into generosity the best we can. Um, and so really from the time we've gotten married, except for maybe a couple little windows, like we've given at least 10% of our income away. Um, right now, that's, it's above 10%. Most of it comes to Hill City, then some of the few other people and places. Um, and we're trying to step into this. Now, sometimes that money's hard to give. I'll just be honest. Sometimes I want to keep. We're trying to step into this idea of generosity. For us, I'm not saying you have to do this. Please don't take it. For us, we buy used cars and we drive them until they fall apart. We had a Grand Am, Pontiac Grand Am, 250,000 miles. Didn't hardly do a thing to it the whole time we had it. We changed the oil. That's about it. And we just ran it till it was about to be done. And then we gave it away to someone. <laughs> like, thanks for your 250,000 mile car. But hey, she didn't have anything. So it was better than what she had. Okay, now, how many of you been to our house before? Raise your hand. More of you need to come over. You're invited today. Come on over. Uh, Emily's like, oh no. Uh, <laughs> we, we have a nice house. We have a good size house. I mean, it's not like a mansion or anything, but it's, it's a nice house. And we made that decision. We wrestled through that decision. We made it because we said, hey, we want to use our house for ministry. And that's why most of, many of you have been over. We use it all the time to host people and, and events and gatherings. And we wrestled through that. And the invitation of Jesus says, what does generosity look like for you? What's it look like to live this kingdom? How much is enough? Because I don't want to elevate myself because I went to Bass Pro this week to buy two fishing lures, drop 50 bucks before I knew it. It's like so quickly my... My default is self. I gotta have that one. That'll catch a bigger fish. I was talking to Michael Robinson. He's one of our elders that, that oversees all of our finances and stuff. Remember, I don't know what you guys give. I don't know how much you give or anything like that. But he was, in talking with some of you, here's what he found. Many of you want to be generous, but you can't. Can't. Because of decisions you're making in the moment. You're paying car payments, credit card debt, got the new iPhone. One of the things college students, you always tell me how poor you are, but you all have nicer phones than I do. Come on now. So for a lot of us, we want to be generous, but it's the decision before the decision. You get that? Like there's a decision to be generous, but there's a decision before the decision that may determine whether or not I can be generous. And for many of you, that's where your battle needs to start. There's this invitation of Jesus to step into generosity. To not focus on self, but to deny self. It's really cool, after the gathering, right out in the hall, right between services, guy walks up to me, he's like, hey, if you know a single mom, I got a car. Just let me know. I'm going to give it away. That's the generous life. And it's beautiful. And I promise you there's a deeper joy that comes. Because that guy could afford to buy a bigger one. Buy a new boat, whatever. It's a joy. Jesus says, here's what my kingdom looks like, Peter. Deny yourself. And he says this. Take up your cross. Now, that meant a lot to them. And when, they, when Jesus said, take up, take up your cross, there was an image that popped in their head. And that image was one of disgrace. Because to be crucified on a cross was to be, and on our pictures of Jesus, we make it modest, but it was to be stripped naked in front of everyone and executed in the most shameful way possible. And Jesus says, hey, disciples, my way, take up your cross. Now, here's the message of the world. Take up the sword. As a matter of fact, when Jesus comes to get arrested, what's Peter do? Come on, talk to me. What's he do? Pulls out a sword, baby. It's go time. Here we go. Right? Let's 
Now it's time to bring the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, Peter, put away your sword. That is not the kingdom that I bring. If you're a follower of Christ, the invitation of Jesus is to take up the cross, not the sword. It means forgiveness, not revenge. Because when I step into revenge, when I step into hate, when I step, well, yeah, well, I'll get, all I do is perpetuate evil and darkness and suffering in this world. I just continue the same old cycle of this broken kingdom. And Jesus says to Peter, hey, my kingdom, I'm doing something different here. My kingdom is a kingdom marked by self-denial. And that self-denial means sometimes I have to lay down the sword and I have to take up a cross and I have to forgive when I don't want to do it. Not to take steps towards my enemy, even though they will not take any towards me. It's a life marked by radical forgiveness. And I love how he said, Leek even says, he says, take up your cross daily. And I want us to see this. Like, this isn't some decision. We sit back one time, you know what? Yeah, I'm going I'm to live the way of Jesus. Uh, that's what I'll do in the rest of my life. No, guys, this is a daily decision. Every single day, I must decide which kingdom am I going to live for today. Every single day, which kingdom will I live for? The kingdom of the world, the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. Peter, that confession you just made, I, I am your king. Okay, you're right. But a king means you follow a king. Peter, come follow me. Now, here's the message of the world. Follow your desires. That's the message of the world. What your heart want, go for it. Like, don't deny yourself any pleasure. Eat it up. You're in charge of your own life. Your life is yours. Your body is yours. You do what you want to do. Live towards your desires. That's the message of the world. And the message of Jesus is, no, sometimes your desires lie to you. Sometimes your emotions are not truth. And there's another truth. It's called the way of Jesus. And he'll tell you how to live that will lead to more abundance. That's the invitation of Jesus. Come follow me. Follow desires. It says, I want more stuff. I want a sexuality where I'm in control of what I do at all times. I want money that I... The invitation of Jesus, no, follow me. I have a better life. I have a better way, a new way. A different way. It's this invitation to ask myself, who's in charge of my life? Or maybe a deeper question. We did this with our small group this week at my house, my city group. What do I love? That's really the question here. What do I love? Like, what do you mean? So what you love is what you desire, what you long for, what you dream about, what you're living your life towards, what your version of, quote, the good life is, that's what you love. And there's invitation of Jesus to ask yourself, what do I love? There's two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of the world, and there's a kingdom of Jesus, and these two are opposite from one another. Now, let me make sure that you hear me, because here's what I'm not saying. Oh, look how bad all the world people are. Right? Let me tell you this. Non-Christians have never made a confession that Jesus is king. So therefore, you know why they live this way? Because that's their confession, the kingdom of the world. Guess what? If I hadn't made a confession of Jesus, you know which kingdom I'm going to live in? That one too. So please don't hear this, all the bad non-Christians like this. Says, no, they have never made a confession of a covenant. If you're here today and you're a believer in Christ, you're saying, I'm in, here's what you said. I confess Jesus is Lord and his covenant invites me to live over here. Like this is the kingdom of the world over here and it's real and, and it's true because they've never made a confession to follow Christ. I, I saw this play out this week. Um, listen, I listen to sports radio 
sometimes, and if you follow sports, there was a defensive end at Ohio State recently that, that was injured with a season-ending injury. Okay, he may be able to, you guys have heard about this, he may be able to work to get back, uh, maybe for the last game, and it wasn't sure. And so this, this, this Ohio State kid was going to be like one of the top draft picks in the NFL draft, you know, set up to make 20, 30, 40, how much million dollars he's going to make as this top-round draft pick. And so because of that, when he got injured, he decided he would just drop the team, check out of Ohio State, and just get ready for the NFL draft, okay? And so these sportscasters are talking about this, and it kind of brings up this larger discussion in the sports community of, is the focus me or is the focus my team? And as I listen to these sports announcers that are living over here in the world, here's what they say. Well, yeah, of course. That guy's got to look out for himself because if he goes to school and, and doesn't really focus on his, on his rehabilitation, like he could drop a couple picks and instead of $60 million, he's going to make $50 million. Oh, sorry, buddy. Yeah, he's got to focus on self. Forget his team. Forget the commitment. No, it's like that is the way of the world. It was even played out this week and just the discussion there. Have you made a confession of Christ? Confession of a covenant assumes action that reflect the covenant. Now again, is there anyone in this room that's going to come up and say, yep, got this down. Let's look at my life. I'm always living over here. Anyone? You can have the mic if so. No, right? Of course not. Because though we're invited to this kingdom of Jesus, the old kingdom still remains, doesn't it? And we feel it, and we battle with it, we wrestle with it. And I find myself way over on this other kingdom, way too much. So Jesus says, hey, Peter, you made a confession. Here's what this looks like. Here's what my kingdom looks like. Here's an invitation, Peter, to be a part of this. And it looks hard, doesn't it? Anyone else feel the weight of this? Deny self? Take up my cross? I'm not in charge of my life? What? Verse 24. For whoever would save his life. Now, when Jesus uses the word save, it's kind of understanding that he's talking about this idea that this is how life should be lived, the world, like this is the focus. Whoever saves his life will lose it. Meaning, to focus on the kingdom of the world, to try to save my life over here, is losing the kingdom. And losing joy and abundance that's what Jesus says. No, I said, that's what Jesus said. Whoever say, will save his life will lose it. But whoever, here we go, loses his life, loses the kingdom of the world. Here's his promise. He will save it. He will get the kingdom. He will understand the kingdom. And here's this question now. For what, and this is a good question to wrestle through, what does it profit a man if he gains this, the world, this kingdom, for the forfeit of this kingdom? What is the profit? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, or whoever has said, Jesus, I don't want your kingdom, okay? Because we, we have that decision now. We have which kingdom? To those that would say, Jesus, I don't want your kingdom, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. So this makes sense. Like, if you don't want it, okay. But don't expect at the very end of times to be like, oh, no, come on in. Come on in. You didn't want it. Forever ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in glory, in the glory of the Father of the holy angels. So Jesus gives us this question. Hey, if you would come after me, 
If you would come after me, if you call yourself a disciple, here is the way of my kingdom. Self-denial, take up your cross, follow me. There's a different kingdom and you can make the decision on which kingdom you want to be a part of. But Jesus, let us not miss his big question. What does it profit a man if he gains it all forsaking the other? Or in other words, here's what Jesus would say, how empty a life lived for self. How empty. I don't know if you saw this week, uh, was this week or last week, one of the Microsoft founders died. Did you guys see that? I don't know how many billion is he worth. Here's what we're talking about our office. No matter how much money you have, they're still coming for you. And the most, the, as much money in the world can't prevent that. Like there's one equalizer for all of us called death. And so Jesus asks this question. He invites us to wrestle with this. What do you gain if you forfeit the kingdom? It's an exchange of glory. The glory of what's eternal and good and pure and right and brings life for that which is focused on self and brings corruption and destruction and evil and death. So here's the question of the day. Which kingdom? Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of God. That's a belief statement. And a confession of a covenant determines now the action. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do I believe? Do I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And do I believe that the way of the kingdom is better? That's the question we have to wrestle with. And again, it's not like, oh yeah, sure, I believe. I said that prayer when I was eight. No, that's not what I mean. Do I believe? Because it's intellectually, it's like... It's one thing to believe in my head. I can look at this and be like, yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe that. But it's another thing to believe right here in my heart. See, the issue is unbelief. And so if I look back and evaluate, evaluate my life, like every bit of me wants to find myself over on the Jesus side. But my unbelief trickles in all the time. All the time. Like this moment of, oh, I want to be generous, but then, ooh, Bass Pro's right down the street. I'm not, again, I'm not saying don't go to Bass Pro. But unbelief trickles in. Man, I should offer forgiveness. Nah, I think I'll hold on to hate. I could trust Jesus with my sexuality. Oh, but man, everyone else, and it looks, looks, looks like they're having fun. See, the issue is unbelief. So, and this is one, like one of the disciples said this. He said, Jesus, I believe. What's he follow up with? Help my unbelief. Like, is that, should that not be every one of us, our prayer this morning, our, as we cry out, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. So here's what I think Jesus advised to do. He's con- contrasted the, the kingdoms. And he's shown they are opposite of one another. And now here's a question I think you would ask us, do I believe? And now I'm going to sit back here and if you guys know me and you can probably see by all my, my drawings and stuff, I'm a very practical person. Like it has to make sense to me practically or I, I just if it's up in the skies and the clouds, I don't understand things. It has to make sense. And so this is what I do. This is my life. I'll just give you a peer into, into my brain, which doesn't take very long. Um, Jesus, I've read your words. I see that you say to deny myself that self-denial is better, that my time's not my own. I should give it more away. My talent's not my own. I should give it away. My money's not my own. I should give more of it away. Like, I, I, I hear you saying that, but I still don't quite believe. That's just my heart, okay? You can judge me if you want. That's, that's where I am. But the more I step into living the kingdom, this is for me, I'm not saying it's for you, the, the more I have stepped into this, the more the living the kingdom backs up my belief. That's what I have found. The more I live over on the way of Jesus over here, the more joy my life has. I'll just tell you, that's been for me. 
So here's the idea that I want to maybe challenge you with. And again, if you're on the podcast, you can't see all this. I'm, I'm on the world side over here on the board. But like, I'm over here in unbelief. Here's what I try to do. Step into belief. Step into it. So I'm 20, I don't know, 24, 25. A lot of your guys' age. Emily, I've been married as a teacher. We didn't have a lot of money, but, you know, we could eat. And I heard some messages, heard people talking about generosity. So I decided, you know what? I don't know if I believe that because I want to have a lot of money. But I'm going to step into this. And so I've told you this before, but we, Emily and I gave away an S10 Blazer that I've been driving for a while. And again, it wasn't like it was brand new, okay? I've been driving it for a while, but it was, it was a lot to us. We gave it away to someone. Here's what I did. I was over here. I stepped over. Here's what I'll tell you. There's not been a day, one day since then, where I'm like, man, I'd like to have that $2,500 back. Not one. We had to step into it. So you can sit back in unbelief. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that's much crap. Well, maybe. Or step into it. See if it is not the best way to live. And maybe in doing so, there's a belief, a deeper belief that starts to form. Do I believe? It's this paradox of Jesus, right? Whoever loses, tries to save his life, tries to focus on himself like he will lose it. Whoever loses his life will save it. Jesus will say it like this. And other times, come to me, all who are weary from living the way of the world, and I will give you rest. Come to me who are thirsty, who have tried to live over here, and it doesn't work, it doesn't satisfy. Come to me, and I will give you rest. There's a new way. And so the exclusive claims of Jesus cannot be overlooked. Like, here's what he's telling us. If you have made a confession with me, for me, that I am your God, then now you are invited to live over here. So we can't make a confession and then just say, no, nope, I'm going to stay over here. It doesn't work. Just like it wouldn't work if I showed up this morning with a girlfriend right beside me. Hey, this is my girlfriend, guys. You'd be like, good. Whoa, whoa, you made a confession. Well, yeah, I know, but, you know, I like her. Right? Is that fair? Please help me. That wouldn't be okay, right? Just making sure what kind of church we started here. Right, because we know confession the covenant means I must act in line with the covenant. That's how covenant works. But Jesus, isn't, he's not gentle with his words here, is he? And he tells us, like, we've got to pick a kingdom. Well, hold on. Does Jesus have the right to speak into my, my life? Well, he has the right, whether you want it to or not, if he's the king. But if you've confessed him, yeah, you've given him the right. Right? Again, some of you are like, man, I was totally duped in this Christianity thing. No one told me this. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hopefully it wasn't us. But this is the invitation of Jesus, the kingdom. So I prepare for a message like this, and sometimes I feel like I'm bipolar, okay? Because I come here, and some of you are like, man, this is weird. I come here one week, and it's like, it doesn't matter what you do, right? You've heard me say that, right? It's not about your performance. Like, Jesus loves you in spite of your sin. You're like, okay, great, I feel really good. And now you come here and you're like, well, I suck. <laughs> Anyone felt like that today? <laughs> yeah. Because, again, none of us are up here like, yep, got this. You know, cape flapping in the wind like I'm superhero, super Christian. No, of course not. We're not there. But here's the deal. I, I, we preach the gospel to you over and over and over again um, because it has to be the central. But I also don't want to preach cheap grace. It just says believe what you want, live how you want, as long as you believe in Jesus. That's not the Christian life either. So what do we do with this? Okay, so we talk about being a gospel-centered church. And if you're new to Hill City, we are not about just like, here's a bunch of rules, go do them. So our main message is Jesus has done everything for you. Believe in him and rest in him. That's our message. So here's what it looks like to be a gospel-centered church. Because here's the danger right now. is a bunch of you look at this like, well, I suck and I'm not even a Christian. Right? Anyone feeling that today? You can be honest. Yeah. Right? Like, I can't do this. You're right. But here's what happens. Here, here's what happens in a religious environment. You've got to be more generous. Oh, I can't do that. 
Or, okay, I'm going to try. Just, here's my question. So when you beat yourself up, like, oh, I suck, I can't do that. Or, i got to try hard. Where is the focus? Me, self. Here's what it means to live a gospel-centered life. I can't do that. Correct, you can't. But Jesus did. Where did the focus go? That's where you're talking in. Come on, where did the focus? I can't, but Jesus did. Where's the focus? Jesus, not me. So the last thing I want is you to leave here beating yourself up. That's the last thing I want. What I want you to do is look at this comparison of the kingdom of the world and Jesus and say, you know what? I can't do that. You're right. That's why Jesus came and did it for you. Jesus lived what he preached. Jesus denied himself. Jesus took up his cross. He did it for you. Okay, so here's what we do. I can't. Jesus did. And now because I am in him, I am a child of his, he loves me in spite of my failures, because of that now, here we go, I will step into the kingdom and living that way. That's what a gospel-centered life looks like. I can't. Jesus did. So now I can. And when I mess up, I can't. Jesus did. And we keep that process going. Take up your cross daily. So what do you walk away with today? Here's maybe my question. Where do you need to... You're sitting in your unbelief. Where do you need to step into belief? That's my question. Maybe it's time. It's focusing all on me. I need to serve. I need to give some, some of my time away. Maybe it's your talents. You're holding it all in. You've got a big gift that you could give to people in the church. Maybe it's money. It's like, keep it, keep it, keep it. What's it look like to step into unbelief? Take up your cross to live the kingdom. I'm going to put up four questions and in our city groups this week. Adults, college, youth, we're going to talk about these this week. Here's four questions I'm going to ask you to wrestle with. What do I love? And remember, it's like, oh, tacos. No, like what I love is what I desire, what I long for, what I believe will satisfy my soul. What do I love? Because a bunch of the time, like if I'm just be honest, like I love myself. <laughs> I love more for me. This question of value asked me to evaluate, like right now, not 10 years ago, right now, what do I love as evident in my life? Who am I walking alongside? The Christian life's not meant to be lived alone. Many of you, all in the room, have so much to give. Who are you walking with and helping them discover what the kingdom looks like for them? Where do I serve? It was really cool this morning. I was getting ready for my sermon. I came out in the hallway at like 8.30, and there was all of our kids, Hill City Kids workers, kind of in a big circle. All these men and women, young and old, that are pouring into our young kids, teaching the gospel. Like, they're giving themselves away. This morning at 7 a.m., there's a crew, men and women, that got here to set all this up. The band was here, and said, like, the people here are serving and giving. Where are you serving? Where are you stepping into the kingdom and serving? Here's a big question. Oh, this, is a, this question gets me fired up. What's your mission? Because see, Jesus didn't just save you to come sit in church. You know that? Like that is not the Christian life, and it is lame. There's way cooler places to be. What's your mission? See, the Christian life, the invitation to the kingdom is a mission to push back evil, darkness, to bring hope and light and beauty. What is your mission? So interesting. I'm going to talk to the men for a second. Men, you're created for a mission. You know why we love war movies so much? Because it's a mission. Let's look to accomplish something, right? Guys, we in here? Okay. <laughs> no, we're not. Just me and the ladies. All right, girls, here we go. <laughs> Guys, we want a mission? Yeah. yeah. You know why? You're created for a mission. That's why. Men are created to accomplish a mission. found an interesting statistic this, this week. Research shows, so a poll of men, just the questions went out to men, and the question do you have a mission or do you have a, a passion for your life? Do you have a sense of purpose? Yes or no? Just that question. 
Okay, and the men that wrote no, that checked, no, I do not have a mission. I do not feel like I have a sense of purpose for my life. Those men that checked no, listen to this, were seven times more likely to be addicted to pornography. Seven times. You know why? Because men, you're created for a mission. That's why. And if you're not living that mission, you know something's missing, so that just becomes an easy out to deal with the pain. Men and women, you are created for a calling for a mission of God to find your mission in Christ, to be about the kingdom? Those are the four questions I invite you to wrestle with this morning and this week in your city groups. So let's, in close, let us hear this. Saying yes to Christ is saying no to self. Because the two kingdoms are different. Your devotion will be to a king and a kingdom. Make sure we understand that. You will give devotion to a king and a kingdom. The question is which one? And will it be the right one? Let's pray together.